torturing vintage tech. All this and more coming up on This Week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. OG Doom. Krusty the Mac. And Hassling the Hoff. All this and more coming up on this week's show. Up to date news for out of date tech. And then there were two, Dave. In fact, there were three, actually, because we have a guest this week. But I'm hoping that our guest this week can do a really good fake Australian accent. His Uh-oh. name is Ian. You may know him as Hoffman. G'day, Ian. G'day, Neil. Oh, I'll bring G'day, back Chris. Oh, you're, all, you're already a better Australian than Chris was. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you for joining us, um, Ian. We're looking forward to lots of chat with you throughout the day today and good, good. hearing about the projects you've been working on and projects coming up. Um, this is the part of the show where we talk about our week, what we've been up to, apart from mourning Chris uh, wearing black all week and missing him. Um, what I've been doing this week is pirating a book. <laughs> Here we go. Printed on my on my inkjet printer is uh, Jordan Mechner's new book. It's called Replay. I am allowed to print it because it's a pre-release version and I've, I've got the pleasure of interviewing Jordan tomorrow um, for a tea break, which is going to be really interesting because <clears throat> Jordan Mechner is, is very famous, of course, for Prince of Persia, for uh, Karatika, for um, The Last Express. Um, and other games, but those are the main ones that he's he's known for. So it's not like I can jump from game to game to game in these interviews. And I really want to use it as a way to find out about the man because he has a lot of interviews about the games. Obviously, mm. we touch on them, but I just want to get a bit more background about him. And that's what his book goes into. It's actually a book that goes back through three generations of his family. It's not about him much at all. It's about his um great-grandfather and his grandfather and escaping occupied Europe and all of this stuff. It's a really interesting graphic novel. Um, so we're going to talk about that and then hopefully use that as a vehicle to find out more about Jordan. Here's Rather hoping. than 45 minutes of tell us about Rotoscope. Tell us, yeah, exactly. <laughs> How many times has that story been told? You know, Obviously, <laughs> yeah. it needs a mention, but we don't need to go into too much detail on it. So that's what I've been doing this week. Um, I have just realized when I was prepping for the show, Chris is still on all our logos and banners. So I need to erase Chris's face. Expunge him. Mm. Stalin style. And the other Pretend he was never thing. there. <laughs> oh, it's a bit heavy for a Saturday morning, Dave. <laughs> um, and the other thing I've done this week is I've managed to source a Apple Pippin, uh, but it's a pre-release evaluation unit, which is really cool. So that's going to become the centerpiece of the Apple um, display that we're making at the cave with all the Macs and the Apple II. And now in a glass cabinet, we can have them pipping in the story behind that evaluation unit. So very cool. Very happy to have found that. There's a story later on today that explains what I think you should do to them all. Um, <laughs> there is. There is. I don't mean that. To, Dave. Uh, I have bought a new mount for the Star Wars Yoke. You'll all remember last year me rattling on about it. I got a mount from a third-party mount, it was made of wood and it was rubbish, and this one is metal, it's really tough, it's made by the same people that make the yoke, it, it fits together as if it was meant to be together, and it's finally coming together for Star Wars, and it's to need to configure it all to get the the right vector effect on a flat-screen monitor. Did you see, Alex, at the Arcade Archive's recent raid video where there was a rotten Star Wars cabinet? Yes, I saw it kind of collapse, and it was so sad. Did you not look at it and think... Oh, if I could get the control panel from that, 
I can, I can <laughs> no, that, that's, what, my that's what the wooden thing was. The wooden thing was a remake of the control panel, but it's awful big and bulky, and it didn't really sit in the desk right. It just it shuffled about when you moved it, and if I tried to make it too tight, it felt as if the wood was going to snap. So this new metal one's much better. Uh, also got a housing for my slice for my Mr. Multisystem, meaning I can plug two joysticks into the dock and play twin-stick shooters without it being a messy bare PCB twin-stick shooters. Is that right often? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, other than that, though, it's just it's, the week goes past so quickly. Yeah. Um, Ian, what have you been up to? You're, you're, you're a man of retro. You must have been doing some retro stuff. Um, so, yeah, um, I've also been up to a bit of piracy this week. Um, <laughs> so uh, um, I obviously do uh, the Twitch streams on uh, Wednesday, which are usually quite retro. Soft, usually software development um, kind of focused, done a lot of uh, game dev on there. Um, but the last 15 weeks, we've been doing Amiga cracking. So we've been uh-huh. taking Amiga games using period correct hardware, like an Amiga 500 and an action replay and getting period correct issues like uh, disk read write problems uh, whilst you're trying to do stuff. You know, it's all a lot of fun. Um, but this week we finished uh, R-Type. So it was a kind of dis- uh, a suggestion from the uh, audience, you know, what, what to look at next. So we took that apart, reconstructed the disk, um, and probably got a DMCA, almost a DMCA strike Ooh. for playing Chris Hosbeck's title music. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> are you finding, as you go through all these Amiga games and crack them, are you finding uh, similar methods of protecting them, or is it quite varied and interesting? Uh, it's Yeah, a lot of them are quite similar. Um, they're not the ones that I tend to cover on stream, so I will look at a couple here and there uh, yeah. off stream just to see, you know, if, they, if they're a standard, you know, Rob Northern copy lock, uh, you know, and defeated within five minutes is not really worth looking at. Um, you know, the ones with uh, new disc formats, you know, custom disc systems, they're quite interesting to, to pull apart. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so we finished that um, uh, and we added, we like to add a bit of extra value so it's not like an original cracked game back in the day. So uh, we added uh, a content creator mode so it replaces the title music with uh, a rendition of the Atari ST's title music. Okay. Um, <laughs> so you can it's play it safely on your stream and YouTube now. Um, and then we had quite a bit of disk space after recompressing all the files. So we added uh, R-Type uh, 128K Spectrum version playable from your Amiga into ZX Spectrum. And then it puts the game into the ZX Spectrum. So, nice. yeah. It's uh, it's going to become more and more of a problem, these takedowns, because more and more, you know, as, as video games are recognized as pieces of art and they need to be preserved, people are buying up the rights to the music. Uh, and then releasing albums and then making claims on on if if you just play the game with the music in its original setting and i don't know how you get around that i don't i don't know yeah i don't well it's a, it's a i think in the case of i don't i mean i don't really know the details of obviously chris holspeck's uh situation other than the fact that it looks like he's using a digital distributor that uh uh uses the more aggressive method right. of content uh matching so there are other you know there are ways of doing uh digital distribution where um it doesn't automatically take you down um but it's you know it's it's his it's his content you know yeah, <laughs> do with it yeah, what, he, yeah. what he sees fit so he made it it's his yeah, yeah somebody yeah. owns the copyright to it it's pretty much why when i show games on my channel now i usually just play my own licensed background music I, i'm yeah. very the game audio which takes something away from it but that's where we are yeah Yeah. Yeah. anyway on that cheery note let's go into (laughs) story one (laughs) so you'll never guess 
what Doom runs on now. If I'll give you a guess, though, Neil, what have they managed to put Doom onto next? Doom onto next. Big track. Ian, uh, the moon. <laughs> no, that's not a moon. <laughs> the right. No, <laughs> it's a PC. Um, there's actually a new version of Doom called Doom Delta. It's by Dr. Pi Spy, and thanks to Pajaco submitting it to the subreddit, it takes the original design from Doom from the Doom Bible, which is a, a document written in 1992 by Tom Hall, um, which was the ideas of what Doom should be, and obviously not all of them made it. Um, quite a few didn't. And it tries to make a version of Doom with as much of that as possible. Now, the story says it's fully restored, and I, I, I'm not sure if I like that description because it was stuff that was never in Doom. It was an idea that never made it. So it's a bit of a stretch to say it's restored, but there's some other stuff that was actually in it at one point from the pre-release in Alpha um, that's been put in. So let's go through what's in it. It's a mod for GZ Doom. Now, GZ is a 3D-accelerated source port of Doom, so it's kind of sort of real original-ish Doom in that it's it, the, the, the code's there. Um, it has the original... Um, four protagonists yeah there was four protagonists uh there's three hud the hud options including a, a sort of a helmet type overlay as if you're looking out through a helmet there's new weapons including the claw and the unmaker which actually did appear later in the series there's new maps there's new power-ups there's a new score system there's lots going on uh, new monsters um lots going on so what do you think neil do you think doom needs spicing up but more importantly, do you think the dropped features would have improved the game at launch? Mm. So if we were talking about this in the context of a film, uh, you're taking the bits that weren't left in, putting them back in, that would could usually come out as a director's cut, wouldn't it? Maybe on a, yeah. yeah. a Blu-ray yeah. or something with the extra bits in. Um, but I get what, you, what you're getting at there. Um, it doesn't feel quite right because what we got is what we know. It's what we got. It's the classic doom. It feels a bit odd to have things bolted onto it. Um, some of the things you mentioned, GZ Doom or GZ Doom, is uh, it's very different to the original engine because it uses OpenGL to render the game. So it can use your your GPUs, your hardware acceleration. You know, original Doom was like 2.5D. You couldn't use a 3DFX card when they eventually came out to accelerate it or anything like that. It was just a case of throwing a more powerful processor at it. So very different beast to the kind of Doom, uh, the code that you would port to your toaster, for example. I should point out, actually, the quote earlier was, that's no moon. I went full dad mode and said, that's not a moon. And awful, <laughs> awful Star Wars quote. I'm in, I'm in training. <laughs> uh, Doom Bible, you mentioned. Um, I, that's passed me by. This is the first I've read about it. So as you mentioned, that's a design document maintained by Tom Hall, outlines the original vision for Doom, includes all of the things that it, or as Chris would say, ID, dropped from the... Hi, Chris. <laughs> dropped from the... Hi, <laughs> ID, mate, including uh, multiple characters. So I guess Doom Guy 1, Doom Guy 2. Did they have names? I don't know. I haven't read that part of the document. Dave? Uh, they were called Ian and Neil. All right. Okay. Which one was more dangerous? Ian. <laughs> um, <laughs> different weapons had designs, all of that stuff you mentioned. Not necessarily bad ideas, but things that were probably dropped just to get the game out the door, get it finished. So the combination of the two creates a kind of Doom origins for modern systems, the Doom we never saw, the director's cut, as envisioned by the original designers, long before anyone uttered the words boomer shooter, which still 
sticks in my throat when I say it, boomer shooter. I don't I'm like okay it. with it. I don't I like mind. It. But uh, I, probably because it just makes me feel old. So here we are talking about Doom 31 years after its release. Um, very few games that have had such an impact. And just thinking about it, this release and the original, the source code was released in 1997. Um, and I think that's probably what truly made it an immortal thing, putting the code out there so that people could port it. it it's become this default, can it run Doom thing for over 30 years. Um, goes to show the power of open sourcing, really, uh, and sharing your work with people, Ian. Yeah, I think a lot of that uh, Doom success also comes down to the fact that it came with a map editor. So, yep. you know, even before the source code was released, you know, people were making mods for Doom, which, you know, ex extended its life. It also, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big, it's a lot of a way a lot of people got into, you know, game development. Yeah, so you had the map editor, and also um, with a bit of skill, you could hack around at the WOD file, you know, extract everything from the WOD file, change the sound effects, you know, mod it even more heavily, um, which probably wasn't their intention, but, you know, it was possible. So aliens, aliens. I always aliens. loved playing the aliens mod, aliens wad of it with all the alien sound effect, because yeah. it, it, the original Doom is not not too far removed from the, the concept of aliens the film yeah. and then you put the sound effects in and the aliens and so on it's it's, it's just a huge improvement to it yeah Ian what are your thoughts on it um so yeah so I fired this up um last night uh and um uh, first time installing GZ Doom and you're right it is a little different you know I can point my gun up and down <laughs> like yeah full, full mouse look yeah <laughs> I think I think Neil pointed it we should be calling it GZ Doom because it's if we're going to insist that Americans call it a ZX Spectrum, then we probably should call it GZ Doom. <laughs> I'd, I'd give them that, I think. I wonder if, it, if it's meant to be GZ Doom, as, as if kind of easy Jeezy. Easy Jeezy, maybe. So, yeah, so I, I fired this up last night. Um, the, the HUD's interesting. Um, like having everything there, the map in the corner and that. Um, especially, I mean, I've got a 21 by 9 uh kind of not super wide but quite wide screen so it was it was kind of odd uh obviously taking the filtering off so all the textures look nice and blocky but having that in such a wide display was quite quite interesting um so yeah i mean i played it for a bit it was um it was it was kind of doom was having such a wide screen <laughs> were the bits on the hud readable without like having to swivel your head like an owl uh, yeah, no, it, over there it didn't no. work very well okay <laughs> So yeah, you know, it's it's not Doom, uh, really. I mean, it is, but it isn't. You know, we know Doom as as what was delivered. Um, you know, there's you know there's a reason why elements from a design document uh, get dropped, and it's usually because they don't work or they don't fit the atmosphere of the game you're trying to create. So you know, well, I you know appreciate there's a lot of effort that's gone into this. You know, it's it, it's a fun new take on Doom, but it's you know it's not it's not really what Doom was. The thing about the HUD that struck me is because it frames the whole screen, it actually made the feel, the game feel a bit older, like like a game that came before it. Whereas when you got Doom, unless you had such a bad computer, you had to press the minus sign and, <laughs> and make the picture smaller and smaller. You would have a nice big full screen and, and it was uncluttered. And that was a really important part of it, I think. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, you end up dropping some immersion in that respect then, don't you? So, um, But yeah, I use it as an excuse to uh, try out my house. Um, I don't know if you've heard of that. It's um, yeah, yeah. So I don't. I can't remember if you guys have covered it before. Chris would bang on about it 
<laughs> yeah, so I ended up in about a three-hour uh, rabbit hole looking at that. Um, I would urge anyone to give it a blast, to be honest, because I was – I mean, I spent about two hours with it, and uh, I, I thought it was amazing what I found, and then I watched a YouTube video on it afterwards – and it is insane how deep that rabbit hole goes. It's a <laughs> fantastic little mod. Um, so yeah, that's, that's I was trying to look at one thing and ended up down a different rabbit hole together last night. So I think this is interesting, and I think it does make Doom more interesting. It adds things you don't see in Doom, and that's maybe good now that we've had the original Doom and we're adding things to it. But I don't think the original Doom would have worked well with all these things i i i would say these are the reasons things are dropped from the design document the reasons you've said ian because it doesn't fit the the ethos of what they try and do but also i mean there's also things dropped from the design document because they can't pull it off they don't have the time and so on but these don't feel like things they couldn't pull off these feels are things they said you know let's not do this bit let's do this bit different um so it's worth a look um but i don't think um restored I'm I'm quite comfortable saying this is not Doom restored. This isn't Doom the way it should have been. This this is this is a uh, Doom the way it shouldn't have been. We are sponsored by Pixel Addict Magazine. Pixel Addict Magazine is a weekly magazine. If that's a sixth week, it's um, <laughs> a digital culture magazine which has all sorts of articles on things about gaming and related to it. Um, in this month's uh, edition. Uh, which we've talked about before with a great big uh, machine on the front with a, the lovely black and red machine. There's more articles I've been reading. Adventure X 2023, which is a narrative gaming event, and there seems to be loads going on in that world, absolutely loads. A new, new point-and-click was back, um, and I've not paid much attention to what's there, but there's loads going on there, uh, and not everything in there was point-and-click. There's more than just point-and-click. Uh, there's an article in the Grease Weasel by John. I think it's the John I know from Glasgow, uh, part of uh, um, the Scottish Amiga Users Group. There's there's a review in this week's this week's this this month's whatever it is this six weekly magazine of Sandra Bullock's The Net, which is I that? love. I love. <laughs> there's a two page spread review of 1995's The Net, <laughs> which I do. Did they see. recommend it. Um, do you know what my pirated copy? The text is too blurry. I need to. I need to get the physical <laughs> copy in my hands to actually read it. Why won't you let me read it on the website, Pixel Addict? Give me your magazine for free. <laughs> I could look it up for you. I just love the fact that it's in there because I did watch it last year. It just happened to be on, and I. So, so that I means that as, as a sponsor, you don't get a free copy of the magazine then. No, I mean, can you believe it? Yeah. I I do. <laughs> I do. No, to be fair, I do have a stack of them. When they visited, they did bring me some and binders. They look really lovely in the binders on the shelves, but not this one. I haven't got this one. The article in Grease Weasel reminds me of a project that I need to do, which I'm going to set up several of those to get six drives all set up and ready to write any type of disc I want. Of course, I'll need to get to that like all the other projects that I've got. But thank you very much for sponsoring us. And Ian, if people want to get Pixel Addict magazine, what's the website? Uh, pixel.addict.media. Well done. Yes. Well done. And confident as well in your answer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah really You confident. can go there, you yeah. can get a PDF copy, and you, you can also get it delivered to you by post. Remember when they took a Toyota Hilux pickup truck on Top Gear and they tried to destroy it? 
Well, now we've got our own version of that in the retro world, thanks to Krusty the Mac, a Mac SE discovered in the loading dock of a scrap company that has been exposed to the weather for a good six months, if not more. It had a battery leaking inside it, and it was destined for landfill. Or was it? Uh, that's, that's far too Jeremy Clarkson, wasn't it? Or is it? Probably the crustiest Mac in the world. In the world. Because, <laughs> because at this point, Rad Racer 203 plucked it from the dumpster, took it along to the computer show VCF East over in the US, and despite the battery having eaten through the board and it being super rusty and looking terrible, it did boot. Krusty booted up. Now, this was back in 2021, and little did poor Krusty know this was just the start of his ordeal. The, uh, <laughs> the new owner decided to put Krusty through a series of tests to see what it would take to kill him. Before the next VCF, Krusty was buried for six months and then exhumed, given a bit of work because he'd got even rustier while he was buried there. And amazingly, Krusty came to life again, a zombie Mac risen from the grave and delighted everyone at VCF. Undeterred, the owner then threw Krusty into a creek for eight months. Um, yes, only removing it uh, as the winter months came along because they were worried about the water freezing and Krusty being crushed. So they did care a little bit about Krusty. And um, Krusty was then taken out of the creek, used as a Halloween decoration, put on the doorstep next to a pumpkin for a few days and then finally put on the top of a snowman as the head of a snowman it was a lot for poor crusty to go through and at the next vcf sure enough crusty failed to boot the rust was so bad that uh, some people at the show actually asked if he'd been set on fire he looked that awful some work was done on the psu some work was done on the ram where the contacts had completely dissolved and amazingly crusty once again came back to life 18 months of hell, and he was still clinging on for dear life. Not surprisingly, people have grown very fond of the Plucky Mac, and he's become a popular exhibit at VCF in Krusty's Corner, now covered in signatures from visitors and with a following waiting to see what will happen next. Maybe it needs to be strapped to the back of a Hilux and driven off a cliff or something. Dave's shaking his head. I was, I'm always surprised by the resilience of hardware that appears at the cave, um, even without burying it for six months. Things that look like they've been forgotten or neglected, things like that Nintendo M82 covered in pigeon poo. With a bit of work, they happily work. Some without any work. Amstrad CPCs, for example, I consider to be almost bulletproof. When they arrive, they just switch right on. So my question to you guys is, do you love Krusty? Have you, have you read about his ordeal? Have you grown to love crusty like the rest of the world and do you have any neglected hardware that just keeps going no matter how much you abuse it so ian for example let's start with you i know you abuse a couple of amiga 600s as part of your dj kit that must be subjected to some serious wear and tear i wouldn't i wouldn't say i abuse them i mean they're uh, they are treated with the love and respect that they deserve right up until the fact the point that they go into uh airplane luggage and then right. it's and then it's it's you know, please, please work at the other end. Um, uh, so yeah, no, they're they're they they're not bad. They get beaten about a little bit on flights and stuff. Um, the, I think the worst thing that's happened to them is one of the keyboard connectors disconnected ever so slightly. So I mm. thought the keyboard was going, and then I opened it back up, and then just pushed it back, and then it was fine. So they're I mean, they're very much uh, uh, designed without a floppy drive. 
Uh, you know, yeah. so they're, you know, light and I package them as best as I can. But um, I think the Atari uh, 8-bit is the one that's had the most abuse at the moment, but that's a failed repair. We won't talk about that. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> with the uh, with the six hundreds, obviously you pack them up, you take them to say Germany to do a DJ set. You're in another part of the world. Beyond those two six hundreds, do you ever have any redundancy? Do you have a third six hundred that you can swap out, or if it goes, nope. if, no, if one goes, thirty five year old bit of kit breaks, which is highly likely at some point, is that the end of the set? What happens? Uh, that is uh, well, you. Well, it depends where you are. You know, if you're if you're a, if you're a demo part, you can probably find another Amiga. So. Right. Okay. Someone <laughs> <laughs> just throws one at you across the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there is no redundancy. I, not even I have redundancy for my six hundred. I mean, I've obviously got another twelve hundred. I could just throw in there. That would work. But um, yeah, it doesn't doesn't quite look the same when you have got the small boy and the big boy next to each other. So. No, I like it. I like the idea that there's a certain amount of jeopardy during a DJ set. Oh, yeah. It'll just go Oh, up. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think there's something weird with old hardware. Uh, the, the tiniest little thing can stop the, stop it working. It can feel so fragile and so delicate, and we treat it as if it's fragile because it is. And then there's something like this where it's treated like that, and it can be brought back. And, in fact, in a couple of times, it didn't even need to be brought back. Um I can't say though that I intentionally like mistreating hardware. Uh, although if it's going to be done to any bit of hardware, I'm glad it's been done to a Mac because there's loads and loads of them around, and they're not that useful. You can get them. You can get them in eBay for fifty quid. There's there's the 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 whole thing with a monitor and so on. They're they're not that. They're not that unique. Um, I just don't like it at all. Just other things that I've seen done to this style of Mac. So this is the classic Macintosh style yeah. with the little, what is it, a 10-inch screen? It's small, 9-inch? It's a pretty it small screen. It might even be 9 inches, nine yeah. 9-inch yeah. screen in there. Um, so, yeah, there, there's quite a lot of them about. It's quite a lot of them that have just destroyed themselves because of battery damage. And a, quite a nice thing I saw done last year was by our good friend Meme Machine, Dean. He took the case, put um, a nice flat screen in there which looked fine at nine inches put a mister in there 3d printed a really nice front cover in the same color filament as the max case so you've got all of your mister io buttons you know everything that you need and your usb ports on there and it did look that first glance exactly like a classic mac but had all the fun and power of a mister it was a perfect case to do that sort of thing in or to, or to put a pie in so like you i don't really endorse uh, deliberately mistreating hardware, ripping things up when there's a chance of saving them. But when they're at the point that they've just completely destroyed themselves and all you've got left with is a plastic case, we'll do something with it, you know? I've seen lots of art pieces and so on with the classic Max because it's quite a, an iconic design. Um, and again, I know people get, get angrier than I do about it, but there's so many of these things about it. It's not as if you struggle to get a classic Mac if you wanted one. Um, I was a bit daft on eBay a few years ago, and I bought two fire-damaged Atari STs, and not just slightly fire-damaged, but had been in a fire uh, Atari STs, a bit melted, um, not just covered in soot, but blackened from fire. I don't know why I bought them. It was cheap. I thought, I'll I'll, I'll see what these are like. Um, I've given them power. Neither of them will turn on. I don't think it was a good idea to buy them. They're still in the box in my garage. I don't know if I'll ever get to them, but maybe I'll get to them, maybe I'll store it. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't be let loose on eBay so often. Maybe you should bury them. <laughs> I know. Give them a, a funeral. 
Um, but I want to see Krusty given a full, complete restoration. I think the poor thing deserves it. No more mistreatment for Krusty. Krusty has now passed the point where anything else would be far too cruel. Let's get Krusty looking as best as he possibly could be, even if it comes down to sanding away all the rust and all the rest of it, bringing him right back to the way he should be. Oh, I, I'm going to disagree with you there. I like Krusty being crusty and being a little trooper and soldiering on, uh, which he's not doing at the moment because as it stands, after his last demonstration, he did fail again. And his owners say they intend to get him working again. And hopefully he'll be the star of a future VCF East show. Ian? Well, he's, he's you know, he's, he's taken one for science, right? You know, how durable <laughs> are these machines really? Let's find out, you Let's know. Let's find out, so, yeah. Yeah. And in the process, you know, maybe save some more, uh, raise awareness of VCF, raise awareness of, of Mac SEs. I wonder if Dave will be listening to this episode in 20 years' time when uh, Macintoshes are super rare and going, oh, why did I why did I say there's so many of them about? <laughs> yeah. It does make me think about the industrial uses of old micros, like Commodore 64s and CNC, using CNC in a workshop for 40 years, covered in grease and oil and all the rest of it, and just quite happily working away. There is, um, on that note, there was a story that came up this week. I don't think anyone submitted it. Maybe they did. Maybe we'll talk about it next week. But there was a job advert went up oh, for yeah. someone to work in Germany. I think it was on the rail network. And in the job description, it said, you need experience of Windows 3.11. <laughs> so <laughs> the back end is still running on 3.11. Um Sounds kind of fun. It yeah. sounds dangerous. <laughs> if it works, it works. If it's not connected to the internet, which three point one one wasn't necessarily connected to the internet, it didn't it didn't feel internet connected. Maybe it's fine. I, What's wrong with it? If, I like if, to think it's, it's running the game locomotion, and there's just someone furiously <laughs> switching the switching. The, <laughs> <laughs> it's around before the trains reach them. Anyway, you can follow the saga of Krusty at check this out geocities.ws forward slash rehasoft that's r-e-h-a soft forward slash crusty yes geocities is still a thing and that's where crusty quite rightly lives dave well it's funny because the link i've got for um doom delta uh which is in the show notes is neo cities neo cities does it have w's as well so it's piespy.neocities.org slash Doom Delta. So Neocities and Geocities. Um, neither of them are original, but they're uh, obviously people phone for that old Geocities under construction web ring sign the guestbook pages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Go and check it out. All the links to this story and everything else we discuss uh, and where you can follow um, Ian's progress and what he's working on can be found in the show notes if Duncan's remembered to do it, which he always does. Dave's briefs. Amazing response to last week's episode. We don't want the show to be all about us, but we did give in a bit last week. We're a bit indulgent because Chris was leaving, but there's so many wonderful responses and so many kind words. It is humbling to think that we are part of your weekend. Uh, so thank you for watching, for commenting, for listening, and for being a twirler patron on Patreon, or as Neil calls it, Patreon. Yes. <laughs> what a weird pronunciation. <laughs> Last week, I said that I thought Jaguar 
XG220, which is, as I told Chris, the best Jaguar game, I said it was from the same team as Lotus, or I thought it was. It's not. Not at all. Dagger on Discord has told me, uh, if I heard it right, you mentioned... Yeah, yeah, you did hear it right. I was wrong. Uh, it might be from the same team as Lotus Challenge. XG220 was from Core. Yeah. Lotus was not. Lotus was Magnetic Fields, wasn't Magnetic it? Fields, that's right. Um, and he says, Andrew Morris shares his thoughts in an interview about the two games. I heard you talking before about how people try to rip off Lotus. There was a Lotus challenge to the PS2 that had nothing to do with you guys. And Andrew Morris says, no, there was a Jaguar game at the time, Jaguar XG220, that was a rip-off. Yeah, I remember the views at the time. Well, I think we did Lotus 3 after the Jaguar game. We put all the other features from both of the Lotuses in. And I remember one of the reviews says we had stole things from Jaguar, which we hadn't. They'd actually. It it was all but a facsimile of the original Lotus that used all of the same ideas. The car stereo for the music, the fog, the nighttime ideas, it was, yeah, pretty much a rip-off. What stood out for me in that was the car stereo for the music. Because clearly, <laughs> Completely original, a developed car, in a vacuum. <laughs> car stereo for the music Clean in Outrun room. in like 1986. <laughs> so how can, how can the Lotus team claim Jaguar ripped off their car stereo idea? Uh, um, <laughs> certainly both games would, um, would claim their heritage is, is from Outrun, um, and it's quite clear there, but... I mean, where's the line? We're talking about this in Discord. Where is the line between something in the same genre and a ripoff of something? Where's the line there? I never played Lotus and thought this is an outrun ripoff back in the day. I never played Jaguar and thought this is a Lotus ripoff. It was just a driving game in the style that computers were capable of creating driving games. That's how, yeah. you know, we didn't have the option of texture map 3D games on our Amigas and our Atari STs at that time. So it's just how it was. Yeah. It's just part of the genre. It's not like every shooter's a rip-off of the shooter that came before. But is Jaguar close enough to Lotus to, to say that? I don't know. I don't know. It did what's telling is I thought there was the same I thought it was the same engine. So there you go. Great music. It does give Lotus a run for its money. Lotus has great mm-hmm. music. Jaguar has awesome music as well. Yeah. Um we haven't had a new housekeeping jingle for ages. Does anyone know anyone who makes music? Hmm. Uh, I can put the feelers out for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, on to my briefs. Happy Coding ZX lets us know that Paul Holmes has passed away. Happy tried to track him down because he coded for Spectrum titles like Bomb Jack, Frank Bruno's Boxing, Wild West Hero, and even wrote books to help people learn to code. And um, apparently, Paul Holmes considered his best work the port of or conversion of Robotron 2084, which, while never commercially released, has been recovered and is playable. And it turns out he passed away in February last year. Oh, that's sad. I'm, I'm surprised we missed that um, as it happened last year. I've got great memories of Frank Bruner's boxing. I played that before I even knew Punch Out existed, and it is essentially a, a Punch Out clone. And it was a great game. Um, loved it. And, you know, loved playing it during the hype of Frank Bruno. And, and when we all got excited, you know I mean, Harry. is Frank Bruno going to beat Mike Tyson? Of course he's never going to beat it, but we all believed it. We all believed it was possible. Oh, glass chin. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's got less of a glass chin than I've got, I'm sure. <laughs> so, this was also submitted by um, Pateb1983. 
Um, he says, I was walking down the street where the houses were numbered 64K, 128K, 512K, 1 meg. That was a trip down memory lane. Boo. Boo. This is a thing now where we having dad jokes submitted to the subreddit. If it gets upvoted enough, I mean, this this was like the, the second or third top story this week. So we, we, we have to. Um, <laughs> um, there was a PowerShark thing submitted, but there's no actual news in the price yet. I'm really interested in this. The PowerShark is a, a little Amiga power supply that fits in the back port, and it's almost just like the connector, but it's got a power supply built in that takes USB-C um, power. Yeah, that looks like uh, something that would be quite handy for uh, a touring DJ. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's loads of USB-C power supplies out there that are bordering on being e-waste because lots of laptops now are powered by that. So you would think that if you can get hold of this little power shark thing, you've probably got the USB-C part maybe for free or even at best cheap on eBay. I wonder if you could combine the power shot with a little bit of um, battery power, not necessarily to act as a UPS, or that that would be cool as well in a, in a DJ setting, um, but just as um, as a sort of smoothing device to make sure you don't get any spikes or anything come through to your to your device. I'd imagine so because well, the power shot itself should should do a little bit of that, but um, if it can take USB C power supply then there's no reason at all why you couldn't have a, a battery pack that supplies that it'd be much easier to get that than try and get some that's uh, try and do it some other way you imagine the size of the actual power brick for an amiga 500 or 600 yeah. you could get quite a lot of batteries in that if you, if you don't need to <laughs> fill it with power supply it would make I, um, it heavy though wouldn't it <laughs> true yeah. and you might have trouble <laughs> in airports yeah yeah the PowerShark has not yet had its price to uh, announce yet, and that's going to be that's going to be critical for it. If if it's if it's like twenty or thirty quid, it'll be the easiest thing to justify in the world. If it's one hundred and fifty quid, hmm. Um, did we talk about Outrun AGA yet? Did well, we Chris mention used it? to talk about Outrun so much? We probably <laughs> did, but I can't remember. Um, both Lord Borak and Weeping Scorpion have submitted. That's an outrun AGA uh, being done for the Amiga, which will be finally a good version of outrun for the Amiga. Uh, it's in progress. It's not yet finished. Yeah, I like this uh, because quite often we see Amiga remakes that are made for the 1200. And actually you think that that should run on a 500 really. Um, but to see outrun push a 1200 to the limit, I, I really like that they're going all out. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah. This this is a hot topic of conversation in uh, various forums in terms of outrun, and a lot of developers have, have you know, basically poo pooed the idea of it of outrun. You know, to get it on a five hundred, you're gonna cut back an awful lot. Um, so mm -hmm. I think even uh, I think the the original arcade cabinet uses an entire sixty eight thousand at ten megahertz just to calculate the road. Yeah, it's got two of them, so, in there, hasn't it? It's yeah. got two of them in there. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not the easiest one to do. Um, so, yeah, the fact they're aiming for AGA means we're going to get something good. And anything that replaces the absolute abomination uh, <laughs> that we ended up with on the Amiga is a is a very good thing. So, yeah, if you want to go all out, there is Cannonball, which you can run on say a Vampire or a heavily accelerated Amiga. But it's always great to see what the system can do within the constraints of its original configuration. Yeah, yeah. Um, Neil, you've I think you've actually listened to this. There's a BBC Radio 4 programme yeah. called 
toast, which was an offshoot of sliced bread. And toast is, uh, the BBC description is, Sean Farrington examines the spectacular failure of wonder products and businesses which had promised so much. And I think you happened to be randomly listening to the radio when this came on. Is that right, Neil? Yeah, toast. Nothing to do with Matt Berry, nothing to do with Clem Fandango. Uh, I just happened to walk into the kitchen and Radio 4 was on and I heard the voice of Dan Wood and thought, Hang on, what, what's, what's Dan doing on Radio Four? Is it Woman's Hour? No, it was um, <laughs> it was it was this Radio Four program um, all about the demise of Commodore. So Dan was the uh, introduced as the Amiga super fan and talked about his love of the Amiga. And then Dave Pleasance was on there talking about his life at Commodore, the downfall. The Batman in- pack. Did he mention the Batman pack? He didn't mention the Batman pack specifically. He did mention packs. Um, and he talked about the demise of Commodore and how, in his opinion, the demise of Commodore... Now, we've got to remember this was a pre-recorded and probably heavily edited program. So the way mm. it was edited, uh, his opinion was that Commodore's d- demise was down to the Amiga 600 and the fact that it should have been called the 300 and it came out as the 600, which set the expectation that it was better than the 500 and it cost no. more to produce than the 500. That's kind of what his argument hinged on. I personally think there was a lot more to it than that. Um, He also did raise the very valid point about that Commodore never had audits, and so there was massive abuse within the company, the different Uh regions of of expenses and things like that, Um, fake invoices, all of that stuff, which definitely uh, added to its downfall. Um, But I think, you know, we've mentioned this many times, the Amiga just came to the end of the line and they just didn't come up with the goods for the next generation and that was that that's just the way it goes the perfect storm of bad management and uh not putting the uh you know your your engineer's best foot forward isn't it so yeah the um it i I didn't know when you told me about this neil i wasn't able to turn the radio when i was working but um i didn't know it was this this program because i'm subscribed to it on my on one podcast i listened to sliced bread and to toast i would have eventually got to this and been my God, it's, it's Dan Wood. Um, so, yeah, give that a listen. It's called Toast if you want to. Um, there's a Guardian article on the joy of CX, such an easy headline to do. We probably did it ourselves. So um, they've got – someone went there and bought six things for £10, and it's a list of what they managed to get. And it's a nice little follow-up to last week's conversation talking about game um, stopping doing used games. Uh, so thanks to Antiques for Geeks, your username has finally paid off. There was an interesting part of that article where he mentioned that a lot of people are very snobby about CEX and and sort of treat it as a stolen goods warehouse, when actually <laughs> he talks about in the article how they do do a lot of checks on things like yeah. laptops and phones well, and things to make sure that they are yeah. perfectly legit. I, I, I've got a, a, an online account. I went to take them in a phone because they, they do decent prices on it. And they just wouldn't do it without ID and all the rest of it. And I can understand why. I can understand why. A speed-running dog named Peanut Butter has just beat an obscure 1985 game alive for charity. Is the day's goodest boy. So that's the headline. And it's a quick look at it. And the dog's been encouraged with treats to press buttons and has no idea what's going on. Uh, but it's still a good watch. <laughs> 
And the first of the promised B17 games from uh, Microprose have been released on Steam. Uh, the first one is a remake of B17 The Mighty Eighth, which came out in the year 2000, which was the sequel to the, or I want to say 1992, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing. Um, it's the 1990s. 19, 1990s B7, early 90s B17 game, both of which I loved. So I've been um, looking forward to this. Now um, uh, I've installed it. It costs £11.51 on Steam at the moment. And I installed it and played it too. I'm afraid to say massive disappointment because this is the 2000 game just hacked to work on a modern computer. They haven't created a new engine. They've put new menus on. They've put some new artwork in the game. They have released it on early access and say they're going to develop the graphics and make it look better. But the foundation, and, and, and it's taken sort of over two years to get to this point since they announced it. So um, I'm a little bit surprised by that. I remain excited about the two more B17 games they promised, which they've confirmed. I had a chat with them um, behind the scenes, and they said the new ones are based on a new engine. Um one of them will be VR-based and online multiplayer. So what really confuses me is if you're putting all that effort into a new B17 engine, why not just release the original one as a mission pack using the new engine? Why are you putting the effort into a 24-year-old engine? It's, it's, it's to get some revenue together. Is it just to... So that they can afford to do the thing they might never do. A money grab, do you think? Yeah. Um, a revenue, I can stay alive. A, a Commodore special. Is this is this what happens when early access is normalised and people go, okay? Early I'll access see. is normalised. I, I, early access. I, did I see this list last week? Early access is a way to ruin a game for yourself. Uh, isn't I mean, that what Larian did though? Yeah, I didn't touch it. I didn't touch Baldur's Gate three when it was early access. I, I, I played the game when it was launched, and I have no regrets about that. Oh yeah, definitely yeah. way to do yeah. it. I mean, there's every chance they could surprise us and, and do a complete graphics overhaul. Well, I hope so. I just don't know why they would use a 24-year-old engine and put this out there. You know, first impressions count for so much. And my first impression was, well, I could have just fired up my 24-year-old game. Anyway, this is Dave's brief. Let's not go into <laughs> detail about this. Um, that's where we are with B17. I remain very excited about the future games, but I can't recommend this one in its current state. Submitted the subreddit, the times for revision 2024 have been announced. It will be March the 29th to April the 1st. Um, it'll be in Saarbrücken in Germany. Um, four days of non-stop digital arts ownage, they say. Um, Ian, you've heard of revision, haven't you? Uh, I've been to every single one. So since every the very first one. Yeah. yeah, since when? Uh, since uh, 2011. Cool. So, right. Yeah. Um, and I've been to every single one that uh, was not in person as well. So, and we know why they weren't in person. Right. What, do you, what do you mean you've been to, you, you were actually at the event? No, no, just, right. I was right. uh, uh, sat in front of my computer for three days. Got you, days. got you, got so, you, got you. Which is, I you thought know, you meant you were actually there, right? No, no I mean, that's normal for me anyway, so there's <laughs> <laughs> no change. <laughs> revision is, revision is, uh, is, is, is it the biggest demo scene event? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think there, I, there's, I heard of another one called Chaos Construction, I think over uh, in Russia, that was uh, absolutely huge, um, but it's the it's definitely the biggest one in 
over here. It's it's massive. It's the it's the event of the year, basically. Yeah. Um, loads of people that are in the scene spend their year preparing for revision. Uh, big event. I know that um, I've spoken to people who I've just realised I can't see who it is and what they're doing. So that wasn't very good, Dave. But yeah, <laughs> I, I know someone who's all, all excited about it. I love watching it on uh, on stream um, when Twitch doesn't cancel it, which still makes me angry. Um, but you you've been into the scene for for years, and um, you, you when did you when did you first get involved in the scene? Back, uh, I don't know what year it was. Um, it was the end of the eighties, the late eighties. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was getting uh, public domain discs through, you know, you know from places like Seventeen Bit Software. You probably heard of them, Neil. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So we were seeing all these demos, and then uh, within the, the group of friends that I had that all owned Amigas in my hometown, we decided we wanted to have a go at that. So uh, yeah, so it's kind of been looking at it and kind of involved with it for for years. Yeah, and you started out just doing the music, and then you've moved into coding the engines for the music, and now you've moved into making actual games. Yes. <laughs> now the 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 new game um, is um, called Seconoid or Seconoid. What what would you call it? Uh, what it's it's whatever you want at this point. You know, I, I like the ambiguity of it. Okay. Um, okay. So yeah. Kekanoid, that's a good one. Kekanoid, Kekanoid. Um, <laughs> and you spent a lot of time on this. I've watched you on streams making this. Um, it was a, it's a port of a game, I think. Was it originally on the Spectrum? Uh, no. <laughs> it was originally on, the, uh, originally on the Steam, so PC and Switch. But it's right. inspired by um, Cybernoid and Robotron, so it's a twin-stick shooter. So. Right. So what made you decide to port it to the Amiga? Um, I just finished my other two gaming projects, so uh, I was looking for something to do. Uh, the last two gaming projects I did were Metal Gear and Nightmare from the MSX, so I had no had no right to port those games. So it was nice to go and get permission to be able to port a game to the Amiga um, because I knew the 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 creator of it, Gareth Noyce. So uh, yeah, just getting permission for it, which which was nice, and also it, at face value, it looked like it was. It should be quite easy to port, which, you know, <laughs> at first value, you think, oh, yeah, this this is fine. This is going well. And then you've got, you know, 15 different collision detection algorithms at, at the play. So it would be easy to port uh, back in the back in the day when someone was told you've got two months to port this and shovel it out. But knowing you, you want to cram every single detail and Easter egg and everything in there and make it yeah, uh, an amazing yeah. game. Um were you influenced at all by the fact that you knew someone that was creating a new joystick and might want a twin stick shooter? Uh, no, it was just uh, I was just influenced by the fact that it looked like it was something that was kind Ian, of achievable. Ian, I've um, given you the perfect opportunity to show uh, your oh, t-shirt oh, at yeah, this yeah. point. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, um, uh, Ian is wearing an Immortal Joysticks t-shirt yeah. from Norwich. Oh, and holding up an Immortal Joystick. There you go. This is one of the original ones. Um, so it's uh, it's it's got a custom message inside. So these oh, are the, nice. the, the early days uh, when uh, Andrew started it, uh, home building them. So custom built. Just whispers yeah, you a message are. when you open it up. I have had the pleasure of playing Sessanoid on um, two Immortal Joysticks at Kickstart last year. And it was, oh, it was spot on. <laughs> yeah. Dave? Yeah, um, it's great on that. Nightmare, I should mention, really impressed me, but it's not the nightmare people might be thinking about. It's nothing to do with helmets. Spell it is a, It's <laughs> a, a horizontal scrolling, vertical, vertical, which is it's up. 
It's an upscrolling shooter. <laughs> Vertical. Up and down. Yeah. Vertical. Why did I forget that? Um, but yeah. Um, so what have you added to the original game? Just loads of stuff. So most importantly, is I think, is the um, uh, completely new Amiga soundtrack. So there's, you know, like, there's like four new sound, four new pieces of music in there. Um, there is an untold amount of uh, uh, Easter eggs hidden in there. Um, there's some that will require you to plug your ZX Spectrum into the audio output of your uh, Amiga just Wild. to get to the next section of the game. So uh, imagine some kind of weird retro-based two-factor authentication method. So... Uh, so these are all, uh, they're actually, a lot of them are documented in a, um, uh, an issue of uh, Amiga Addict. So if you want to go and uh, dig that out, you will see all of them laid pretty bare. Um, so, yeah. And it's, I think, actually, it might be the first Amiga game with achievements that you can collect, which is not something that I've actually seen in an Amiga game before. So I, I've been heaping praise in this for you for a while because I've watched you on stream coding it because that's what you do on your Wednesday streams or you did in your Wednesday streams for a while. And I keep saying, why couldn't we have games this this good back in the day? And you always tell me off. And why is that? Uh, it's because it's time, right? <laughs> that's why, you know, I, I have the luxury of uh, of spending my free time uh, making sure every last detail is done, you know, it, you know, any tiny little glitch in the screen, you know, I want it gone. I want it clean. I want it tidy. I want the presentation good. I want all the bugs gone. Um, but, you know, if you, if you look at a development house that were given, you know, three weeks or even like four months to do a port of something, you know, they're going to, you're going to end up with the, you know, the minimum viable product at the end of it, aren't you? It works. And uh, there we go. We have all the levels in it and we can get to the end. Was it a good game? No, but we can mm. shove it on the shelf, right? And how do you think you've got? Are you happy with it? Is it? Did you did you have to leave anything out, or did it do all you wanted to do? Uh, it does everything that I wanted to do. So um, the only I don't know. There's everything's in there. So the sub games in there of Eugatron, which is like a score attack game. Um, yeah. All of the levels it's, in it there reminds me of um, Lamatron. Yeah, yeah, which is uh, heavily influenced from Robotron. Yeah, slightly. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so there was nothing. Nothing was really cut back. Um, the the hardest room was the uh, there's like some rotating platforms. It's a bit like um, uh, uh, that's that in the first level of R type where they rotate round. And the, uh, mm -hmm. I didn't realize that was there until I was about six months into the development. And I thought, how on earth am I going to get that working? <laughs> and and it did. So. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, there's nothing. I'm re yeah, really uh, pleased with it. It's it's turned out you know the, the everything plays right. It feels right. Um, and uh, obviously, I took it to the original developer to say you know play this, and he just went. He was just playing it. Just went ship it. And so yeah, so he's good <laughs> with it. I mean, it's amazing that the the original developer was was it Thalamus? Uh, no, so the the de developer's a guy called Gareth Noyce. So okay. he did another so when, game uh, for the for Steam and Twitch called uh, sorry for the Switch called uh, uh, Lumo, which is uh, heavily influenced by you know things like Head Over Heels, isometric games, but obviously done in a more modern setting. So, so where does Thalamus come into it? So they did the publishing of his PC games uh, right, onto right. the Ninten onto the Nintendo Switch. So they did the port of that. So they okay. kind of. So they're taking care of the publication of the Amiga version. So right, the, yeah. the Amiga version is finished. It's all tied up. Um, 
uh, it's all ready to go. So I think one of the hardest things about getting it out the door is just finding enough black floppy disks. So, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So there's, I think there's like a hundred of those. Can uh, I help you in any way? Well. Have you got it. You got that sorted because I have stacks of disks. Uh, I mean, they, you... yeah. I think. I, well, they 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 had to be like they like black with the uh, and even the uh, shutters also black. So oh, right. it looks. Okay. Oh right. Okay. Okay. I've seen a picture of them. They look fantastic. So uh, yeah, that'll that'll be very very limited to like I think it's like a hundred that we've got, um, and then wow. the rest of will just be CDs. So. You've you've talked with we've been scutting around something that, that has been appealing to me for the whole project. The big box release is gonna have a big box version. Yep. Yeah, big and box. That's what I want. Yeah, yeah. You get that and the manual. So the you know, getting yeah, an artist right. for the manual is also part of that process. So so you know, the release looks like a thalamus product, right? So if you look back so who, at who were Thalamus? Thing. Tell everybody who Thalamus were. They were the, the, the with a German publisher? Uh, creatures, creatures, no, they creatures were, they were linked to um uh what was the company that ran zap 64 news newsfield newsfield yeah yeah huh. yeah they were linked linked to there um so the developers they they would find games from like german developers and and british uh, developers so yeah. so the developers could be from all over the place but yeah they were linked to newsfield and um uh you know sanction and way. delta are two games that uh yeah hawkeye I remember the logos on oh hawkeye yes, yeah yeah hawkeye creatures creatures two creatures are the one i remember yeah, yeah yeah i get them mixed up with thallion who are not the same company <laughs> at all but <laughs> you can't have thalamus and thallion so yes yeah, so, you know having a game published by uh a game publisher that was effectively like on my walls as a as a kid you know, I put up posters of like Hawkeye and and stuff like that when I was a kid. So yeah, it's a bit of a, it's a it's a good one for me. So the release you've held back the digital release until the physical release is ready. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. And so, that is imminent. Uh yep. Yep. Exciting. Exciting. Links <laughs> in the show notes. He's not telling us this. No, yeah, yeah, not, I never give anyone a date because then you have yeah. to hold down that date. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of, you know it's, it's kind of out my hands at the moment. It's with the publisher. They're doing uh, all the fantastic work to make sure that you know that that big box copy is is nice and lovely uh, to have in your hands. So so yeah, it's I, coming I will, very soon. I, I will update the, the our listeners when it actually is released, and they can all rush to buy it i'll i'll be on the list i've been nagging you for ages i've been afraid i'm gonna miss out i keep <laughs> asking you like dave worry. it's fine don't worry dave it's fine it's fine yeah <laughs> so dave we've kind of drifted into um ian's wonderful game having started with revision <laughs> do you wanna do you wanna tie it all up neatly um, yeah, so revision this year, the times have been announced. Uh, if you're not going to go, I mean, uh, if you've not heard of it, then you're not going to go based on what I said. But if you're not going to go, then watch online on Twitch or the, or the preferably their own stream. It's wonderful to watch it for all the demos. Will your game be shown at revision or is that not really the place for That's, it, Ian? Uh, no, no. No. What will you be? Do- will you be there's, doing? There's other there? things that are happening for uh, revision. It's so sly. It? It gets, you won't tell us. It gets. No, I guess. Yeah, the demo scene stuff. I like to keep. You know. You yeah. have. You, you got a it, surprise, right? That's the element of surprise yeah, is a it, huge part of it. It's very much. It's usually very much a case if you've been working on something for, uh, you know, anywhere between like three weeks, six months to four years. Yeah. So you don't really want to show anyone anything. There will be a few people that you know. I'll, I'll bounce. Uh, you know previews off against sure. the stuff i'm working on to you know get some feedback um but yeah it's 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 very much about 
the big thing is very much about when you're at the party and the compo's running and your entry is on the screen, the, the size of, you know, an aircraft hangar's wall. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and nobody knows what's coming. Nobody knows yeah. what's coming. That's the great thing. And also, um, you know, watch it online if you can't make it over there. They've, they've done a really good job of honing in um, during lockdown and beyond how to stream this thing well so that people can enjoy yeah. it from anywhere, assuming Twitch doesn't shut them down. I think they've got <laughs> over those problems. <laughs> I've not. Um, and uh, to the point where my wife, Lily, who's not into, you know, retro or tech at all, she loves to sit down and watch Revision with me because she loves the same kind of music as me and she just views it as art. She watches Revision and sees it as an art event. Um, I tell her, like, you know, this is running on this particular machine, which is super limited and you've seen it in the cave. And then, you know, she has the reaction everyone has, is, which is how the hell do you do that with that? You know, which is just, mm. it's, it's such a brilliant thing to watch. Um, the shader competitions, the retro entries, all of it. So do check that out, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, I think the the art aspect of it is is you know it's it's really come into its own over the, the last like ten twenty years. So so that's it makes it a lot more accessible. I think. So go watch it. It's great. Come to the party and have a beer with me. <laughs> Time now for our community question of the week. And last week's question was. Do you, do you remember Chris? Do you remember how he still hates game for sacking him? Well, now it's your turn. What in retro do you have an irrational hatred of? What has bugged you for years or even just days? What do you know that you are now overreacting to, but you can't get over it? So let's bring that up. Have we taken it out of contest mode? I'm Maybe. clicking the button right now. We are out of contest oh, mode. We need a little jingle for that bit, a little drum roll yeah. or something. Who could make us a jingle, Ian? Uh, again, I'll put the feelers out for you. Yeah. There's, there's going to be someone that uh, can do music. Oh, you're a good uh, lad, Ian. Thanks yeah, for that. I'll, I'll, I'll find them for you. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, I'll go first. The first answer we've got is from Rich Neptune, and he says, sealed or graded games? Yeah, I know people are entitled to whatever they want to do with their property or money. I know there are legit reasons for grading and more legit grading companies than the notorious ones that we know all about. But I kind of think about Prospector on Toy Story 2 getting deranged because he's been confined to his box, not being played with. If games and systems come alive at night, those poor ones in their Perspex prisons must be going through hell, not fulfilling their destiny. Oh. Perspex prisons. I like that. Ooh. So, Neil, do you, you don't seal up games, do you? I do seal up games, yes. <laughs> That's entirely justified, though, but, because yeah. you want people to be able to pick oh, up the box and touch it, and it's, it's not protected. sealed, that can't happen. So, uh, And also, if anybody expresses an interest in a particular game that I've sealed and put on display, I encourage them to rip it open so that they can have that new game opening experience and then take it over to a machine and play it, because I can just seal it right back up again. But on the whole, it protects it. But yeah, sealing games, um, it's the complete opposite to the crusty story, isn't it? Instead of burying yeah. games, yeah. Like, no, I must not open it. I must not touch it. And that annoys Rich Neptune. Uh, who wants to take the next answer? Uh, Ian. Yeah, so uh, uh, Pajaco6502 says, uh, region lockout on games. Uh, I get there are licensing and regional rules, but what I play on my system should be my choice. And some region locks just seem to be so that the game companies can charge more for stuff I could import cheaper. Uh, not sure if it's irrational or not, but I always it always knocked me off. 
So, I mean, the, I think the that still I, happens. Yeah, the, the thing I remember is uh, uh, my friend importing uh, US uh, Mega Drive games in, um, and all he did was just cut out those two corners um, uh, of the cartridge slot, and then the cartridge would fit because the Mega Drive. Uh, it's region protection for NTSC and UK was just two plastic tabs on the cartridge slot. So, uh, yeah, that's how we, how we got that running. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Region locks. It's, it's they've all it been doesn't mean to now. exist anymore. I mean, back, back if there were difference between the sort of PAL and an NTSC release, sure, but there's no reason for it now. Yeah. Uh, other than money. Yeah. Next answer is a bit of a deep one. It's from Happy Codings NX. I've tried to get over it. I know it's irrational, but I just can't get over the word retro itself and how it's plastered everywhere as a blanket term. It's just my opinion, but I find it limiting somehow in the sense that I think the truly classic games should be considered in the same way as music or film, not just something retro to look back on with fondness, but also as historically interesting art forms that have stood the test of time. I love the music of the Beatles or classic Hitchcock movies, and to consider them retro would seem almost demeaning. I would reserve that word for something like Kajagoogoo. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting to be saying Kajagoogoo this morning. <laughs> or Black <Light>. Kajagoogoo. <laughs> or early Arnie films, which can be great, of course, but it seems to me that all old games are looked in the same way, and that's what bugs me. Perhaps the medium is not ju is just not mature enough yet. There are signs of younger players appreciating older games for their culture or significance and playability rather than nostalgia, and I think that's great. Or maybe it's just me being an old stick in the mud. Probably a bit of both. In the end, it's how you enjoy games is entirely up to you. Um, on the music and the movies in particular, um, I, I agree. You wouldn't say, oh, the Beatles, they're retro. But uh, you might call, if you had an original vinyl from the Beatles, I guess you might call it vintage. Um, but the fact is, their music has then been re released on a cassette and a CD and, uh, you know, uh, MP3 and all other, all other formats. So it's kind of moving with the times where the, a huge amount of video game history is, is not officially accessible. You have to dig into ripped ROMs and emulators. I don't know if that affects the argument in any way, just a, an observation. Well, we, we have touched on this before. Um, we haven't tackled it head on, we've touched on it before. But games like Skyrim, for example, have been released and then released and released and released. It's, no, it's over 10 years old now. And I would say that Skyrim is a game that's going to last. Uh, there's other games as well Doom. that are going to last. Hmm? Doom. Doom, yeah, yeah, Doom. <laughs> you, you can play the original version of Doom and have fun and not feel as if this is a limited game, limited by the hardware of the time. So I think when, when Alan talks about um, perhaps the medium is not yet mature enough yet, I think it's our attitudes towards the medium are not yet mature enough yet. Maybe that's maybe that's slightly more accurate. And also the observation about younger players and cultural significance. That's something I do see happen at the cave. Younger players, um, uh, I've had some come in and call them pixel games, not retro games. Mm. That, that's that's sort of the, the catch-all term they use for the older games, certainly the 8-bit games. Um, and uh, it's just hard for us as older guys who are there to get in the mindset of kids seeing these things for mm. the first time and how do they respond to it? Uh, and on the whole, quite positively, they are seeing it as a, a cultural, you know, the foundations of the thing they love. And I really do like seeing that. 
There we go. There's lots more answers. Uh, thank you very much for submitting. The fact there's more answers than usual. Oof, loads of answers. Loads of answers. Have a read. Have a read of that uh, if you go to our subreddit. Reddit.com forward slash... Oh, don't forget the W's, Dave. www.reddit.com forward slash R forward slash This Week in Retro, oh, where you can submit... Whack. It's not whack. Whack, whack. Um, <laughs> whack, whack, whack. Oops. Um, <laughs> <laughs> submit any stories that you see that you think are interesting that you'd like us to discuss or bring up in, in Dave's briefs. Um, I have a look at our question of the week and participate in our next question of the week, which I'm, I, I, I've put in the notes, but I feel like it's a, it's, it's a bit negative. Like last one's like, what do you hate? What do you hate? And this week's question of the week, unless anyone's got a better one, is do you have a piece of tech that still works regardless of the fact that it's had a very hard life? Let's talk about tough tech in a positive light, not in a, you know, you've told us what you hate, now tell us what you're torture. That's not, that's not what we're about. Yeah. That's not what we're about. Wow, what a great end to the show. Um, Ian, thank you so much for, for taking part. We'll put links in the show notes to everything that you're working on. We'll put no, links, we won't. Not everything. We'll put, not everything. <laughs> Too much. Everything that it will tell us. We'll put links to revision for people who want to go to the party and buy Ian a beer um, and people that want to watch on Twitch um, so you you can follow the party over the course of it's three days, isn't it? Is it three days? Uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then you've got the prize giving. Four, giving four, four days. Yeah. They said yeah, four yeah, days of non-stop digital arts ownage. Well, yeah. it's more like three full-on Friday, Saturday, Sundays, three full-on days. Yeah. And then, and then Are you Monday, sure you should be undermining a, it? A horrific hangover and then <laughs> uh, and and then pick up a, a, a trophy if you win so yeah so i'll be watching it hopefully you all will too i'm sure we'll talk about it on the show uh good luck with whatever you may or may not enter into the competition um and thank you everyone for taking the time to watch we got through it without chris thanks for listening chris we know you're out there and take care is better in mono <laughs> Amiga is better in mono, yeah. Amiga is better in mono. Amiga is better yeah. in mono. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you can't. I'm waving. Back, Chris. They're all waving. They're waving. Bye. Bye. Take care, everyone. This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RNC The Cave and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Styles. podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel. Join our community subreddit at r slash thisweekinretro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.